DJ and PK brought to you apart by Davis Vision. Davis Vision is giving you 1,000 reasons to get rid of those contacts or glasses. That's $1,000 off LASIK. Start your road to better vision at davisvisionmd.com or call them at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Time to welcome in Andy Bailey, NBA writer for Bleacher Report. Andy, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Excellent. Maybe not as good as uh, Urson Ilyasova, who knows he's getting an NBA paycheck. <laughs> yes. How big a deal is that for the Jazz? Is that just a little move around the uh, around the edges, a little insurance policy, or do you see it as more than that? I would probably say it's it's a move around the edges, as you described. But, you know, I I think Utah's bigger need may still be perimeter defense, just more bodies to throw it. Guys like LeBron James or Kawhi Leonard or Paul George, um, and so from that sense, it's a little bit curious. Um, but you can see why the Jazz would like him. I mean, they they've been in the business of forwards who can shoot for a while, and he makes sense on that front. I I don't think that he, you know, immediately steps into a huge role. If anything, he maybe supplants George Niang somewhere down the line. But Niang has, you know proved himself to be a pretty valuable shooter off the bench, too. So he, he might even have to fight for minutes um, once he gets there. And Utah's got a pretty stout eight- or nine-man rotation already. Um, so, I, you know, it's not a huge, earth-shattering move. But, I you know, I could see how he could help down the line. He's certainly a guy who can rebound a little bit and, and hit some threes. He's, he's not a great three-point shooter. He's kind of a mid-30s guy for his career. Um, but mostly, it's it's. I think the way you described it is good. It's it's probably an insurance policy. So then, do you see them making another move to get that perimeter defender you speak of? Well, yeah. I mean, what's interesting is you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe they let Shaq Harrison go um, uh-huh. to sign Ersan Ilyasova. So that that was interesting because, you know, I, I thought he's a guy who could maybe be that perimeter defender and maybe he just didn't show enough behind the scenes to stick around. Um, you know, so certainly that move could be out there. The, the Ilya Silva signing, frankly, surprised me quite a bit because I thought they were pretty set already. Um, you don't get the point differential Utah has right now and the best record in the league without being pretty good and having a pretty strong rotation um so i was a little surprised to see any moves at all and so i would i would kind of default to that position again i'd I'd be surprised if they made another move just because i think they're really good um and you know certainly no team wants to rest on their laurels and, and not get better so they're probably looking for that kind of help um but I don't think it's going to be any name that blows us away. If, if there's another signing or a small trade or something like that, it'll probably be um, around the same level of impact as the Celia Silva deal. You know, the thing that always seems to me is that, it, first off, for the guys who they're struggling to defend, well, the whole league is struggling to defend those guys. Correct. And if yeah. you get somebody who can at least make life hard for those guys, well, then he's going to hurt you offensively, and you're going to have to play a four-on-five a little bit because whoever they bring in is not going to shoot the ball as well as the guys they have because if you can defend that well and you can shoot the ball that well, you're already in the league and you're a star. So I get why people want or think the Jazz need that because everybody needs another one of those guys. Literally every – I mean, the Lakers could use more depth. They could use one of those guys, but those guys aren't available. 
I, I think you are, you hit the nail on the head there. And I, and I actually think sort of the national conversation regarding that need for the Jazz is a little bit overblown. I think they have closing lineups where they can certainly play Joe Ingles and Royce O'Neal at the same time. And those are two of the better perimeter forward defenders in the league. Um, you know, <laughs> Jazz fans, I'm sure, remember fondly when Joe Ingles basically shut Paul George out of a series. Um, a few years ago, he's he's an underrated perimeter defender. I think Royce O'Neal is one of the best perimeter defenders in the league right now. Um, where Utah runs into a little trouble, I think, is is their backcourt's kind of small with Conley and Mitchell, and that can cause some problems. But I think they have more options on the perimeter than people give them credit for. And like you said, you know, even if they give up a little bit of um, you know defensive solid. I don't know if I'm making up words at this point. Um, they make up for it with the ridiculous amount of shooting that they put on the floor. Um, you know, I, I'm still probably in the camp of, you know, if it's a seven-game series against the Lakers or, or probably even the Clippers, I'd probably pick one of those L.A. teams. But I think Utah is much closer to a title contender uh, than people want to give them credit for. So when the second half resumes, they've got the home game against Houston. Then they play the next couple of weeks. So in a seven-day span, they're playing four games each of the next two weeks. And that's a lot of games, but I know that everybody else is in the same boat to one extent or another. But considering that they went into the All-Star break a little bit of a slump, how important would you say those first two weeks are knowing that the games are coming at them fast and furious? Yeah, I'd say it's pretty important. I, you know, it would certainly be nice to enter the playoffs as the one seed. I don't, I don't know if they have that as a goal on the whiteboard or anything like that. Um, but they want to get some of that momentum back that they had at the beginning of the year. I also don't think, you know, it, it would be nice if they came out and blew the doors off to start this second half of the season and got all the media um, back behind. I mean, it seemed to me like the media was very excited to jump on. I wouldn't even call it a losing streak that they had before um, the All-Star break. They just happened to lose a couple games, which happens to everybody. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if they want or need that respect back from the media. It's more about just can you have home court throughout the um, Western Conference postseason. And, and though they have a tough schedule at the start of the second half of the season, once they get through that, um, it, it should lighten up quite a bit. It, I, I'm pretty sure the last time I checked, Utah had the easiest remaining strength of schedule in the league. Um, so if they can get through a couple bumps here early on, I, I think they'll be in pretty good shape. So because the Jazz have looked, uh, they have looked a step slow, maybe a little run down when they've had to play three games in four days. They time to get the third one. It's a bit of a struggle. You probably don't have to do it in the playoffs. Maybe you play a seven-game series and you get a back-to-back in the next series, but it's not really something that happens much in the playoffs. So since you don't have to prep for that in the playoffs, what about the idea now, since you've got an eight, nine, ten-man rotation uh, with Niang and Ilyasova and with Mieoni being kind of an 11th guy now, what about the idea of when you hit these back-to-backs and the three games in four days scenario – rotating guys out of the lineup and sitting them for one night, with the exception of Gobert and Favors, you really can't because you got two guys and you need them both. But in every other place, it seems like they got enough depth. I mean, they, they were 2-0 and when Donovan Mitchell missed. They, well, they were 2-0 and when Favors was gone, too, for that matter. Yeah, that was, you know, you mentioned the record uh, when Mitchell sat, and that was 
kind of what was going through my head as you were laying out that question. I, I think they've also been pretty successful when Conley has sat mm-hmm. this season. And if you go back to last season, um, you know, they, they had that winning streak when, when Conley was out. Um, you know, that's the benefit of depth. And everybody has made that 2014 Spurs comparison to this Utah Jazz team over the last several weeks. And I think this is another one where we can see some parallels. Um, that Spurs team, and, and really for a few years uh, during that era, the Spurs were really good at playing, you know, 11 or 12 guys. Um, and it's not to make everybody feel good and, and give everybody a chance to play. Um, it keeps legs fresh for the playoffs. And I think a, a fringe benefit of that is, you know, if you give me Aoni a few more minutes here in the next couple weeks or, you know, over the second half of the season – and suddenly somebody gets hurt in the playoffs and Mieoni is called upon to have a more significant role in a series and a big moment, he's going to be more prepared for that um, than he would be if he just spent the entire second half of the season on the bench. So Utah's depth um, could really come in handy as, as this second half of the season is going to have to be compressed for a lot of teams. How much are you buying the Suns? Um, I'm kind of on the fence with them. I'm, I'm not as ready to jump in and call them a title contender as i've heard some other people i you know i maybe it's not fair but i i still want to see devin booker hasn't played in the playoffs i mean that's i think that's important um deandre ayton of course hasn't played in the playoffs and i think deandre ayton generally they haven't quite figured out his role um in this new ecosystem with with chris paul and devin booker there um, I really like their wings. I, I think Michael Bridges is great, and Cameron Johnson is is a good player. And um, Chris Paul has obviously been a stabilizing factor there, just like he was with OKC. Um, so there's there's no question that they're good, and I and I would put them on the fringe. You know, I I would say tier one right now in terms of teams I think can win the title would be like the Lakers, the Clippers, uh, the Bucks, the Sixers, the Nets, and the Jazz. Um, and I would say the Suns are in Tier 2, whatever that may mean, and I don't know who all is in there with them. Um, are they knocking on the door for Tier 1? Maybe, but I, you know, I'm still just a little bit hesitant because we, we haven't seen as much from them. I mean, obviously we've seen a ton from Chris Paul over the course of his career, but this is still relatively new with the Suns, and it's, it's um, maybe a little too early to crown them. You know, you were talking about how versatile uh, the Jazz were and the options they have. The one thing we really haven't seen a lot of, well, that may not be. One thing we haven't seen as much as I think some Jazz fans are intrigued by is Joe Ingles closing if the Jazz think the backcourt is too small in a given matchup. You know, take Conley out at the end of the game. Or we saw the Sixers go right at Bogdanovich in overtime. They clearly yep. thought he's a defensive liability. We can attack him, and they did, and they got enough buckets to win the game. So if there's a, a matchup issue with either one of those guys, why not put Ingles in the closing lineup and take out one of those guys? How willing would you to be, would you be to do that, and how much does that mess with whatever chemistry we're going to hear about, blah, blah, blah? That's that's the big consideration, obviously, is what does it do um, to the other guys. And, and as far as I can tell, this is a team that's got a lot of very level-headed players. Um, and whoever that odd man out may be would, would hopefully be okay with that. But that's something I've been thinking about for weeks. I mean, if you look at lineup data, um, 
yeah, there are some lineups that are just phenomenal with Joe Ingles in them, and, and versatility is how you started that question. Um, he's extremely versatile. I, you know, he can he can be as effective a spot up shooter as Bogdanovich is, but he's a, a much better perimeter defender, um, and he's a much better decision maker in the, the pick and roll. I mean, we saw that con- that uh, chemistry between he and Derek Favors two years ago in the pick and roll, and. I think he's got a little bit of that with Gobert now, too. I, you know, I, I just think he does more than Bogdanovich does, and I don't know if that's me saying that Bogdanovich is the one who needs to be bumped out. Um, but there are certainly some games and situations where I think Ingles needs to be on the floor in the closing minutes. I, I think he's shown so much over the last several seasons that he's a guy who doesn't shy away from big moments. I already mentioned that series against Paul George. Um, you know, he hits big shots, but he also comes up big on defense a lot down the stretch. So they're going to have to think about that. That's This is <laughs> the burden of having six or seven guys who can close. I mean, that there are other games where you think, you know, Jordan Clarkson should be out there, um, the way that he can get the offense on track. I mean, there are so many <laughs> options and configurations and lineups with this team that you could, you know, make an argument for being the closing five, um, and maybe it's different game to game but I you know I for Joe Ingles specifically I think he's certainly earned more closing minutes so we've seen Blake Griffin to the Nets anything else you're expecting um this is such a weird trade deadline to try to gauge because we've got the play-in tournament of course and so I think a lot of teams are going to talk themselves into you know we can be one of those top 10 teams we can get a little bit more experience, possibly some playoff experience if we get lucky in that play-in tournament. Um, you know, one team there's been a lot of buzz about is the Orlando Magic over the last couple of weeks. Um, and it sounds like a lot of guys could be available for them. I mean, it would take a pretty big offer to get somebody like Vucevic, but it sounds like Evan Fournier might have, it might be available, Aaron Gordon. Um, so that's maybe a team to, be, to keep an eye on. The Andre Drummond buyout is still a possibility and it sounds like he might go to the Nets too um, which would be interesting I think they might have a glut of big man at that point Um, so it's it's long story short it's kind of a hard trade deadline to figure out I think the Beal thing is that's just not going to happen this season at least it doesn't seem like it I I think somebody would have to just blow the doors off um, for Washington to to consider moving him at this point Um, so I don't you know I hesitate to say we're going to have a dud of a trade deadline because I thought that in years past and then we just get an avalanche of moves on that day Um, but right now it's just kind of hard to see which team is going to open those floodgates the Lakers or as David Locke likes to say in that drop I hate the freaking Lakers uh, their their depth is sub, such an issue. Do you see them adding a guy or two, even if it's fringe player, role player? Because unlike the Jazz, where if you add somebody with one skill set, the Jazz have good depth, and now you're not as well-rounded a team. But the Lakers have depth issues, so any one skill set they add, whether it's somebody who can uh, rebound shot block or somebody who can shoot the three or somebody who can D, D guys up, that might be an asset for them in any one given series, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think they should be um, relatively aggressive. Um, you know, I don't know if that means a veteran who's just kind of sitting on the couch right now and would take a veteran minimum. Um, you know, I, I don't know who that guy is, but they certainly have depth problems. Um, I think you take the second best player off any team, and they're obviously going to struggle. So, so as long as they've got LeBron and AD in the playoffs, they're going to be formidable. Um, but those those other positions, um, 
they they could certainly use a boost around the roster. Dennis Schroeder is not as good as he was with OKC. Um, Wesley Matthews just kind of looks like a shell of himself at this point. Um, so they could they could certainly use a boost on the perimeter. But I would I would be hesitant to hit the panic button if I'm LA. I don't I don't think they need to do anything dramatic. Um, but if there's a if there's a veteran out there, or a buyout candidate out there, I, they're they're going to have their um, they're going to have their ear on a, on a bunch of possibilities. PJ Tucker's a guy I thought about for them a little bit ago, and you know I don't know if he suddenly becomes good again because he's been bad in Houston, frankly, and, and maybe he'll be more motivated on a contender. Um, but yeah, they they absolutely could use some depth. Well, Andy, we appreciate a little bit of time you coming on talking a little NBA with us, and uh, the games are going to pick up here real quick now. Uh, a little bit Wednesday, a lot Thursday, and the Jazz on Friday. Thanks, Andy. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Andy Bailey, NBA writer for Bleacher Report. Join us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Everything you missed in this show will get you up to speed next. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Sarah Todd, she covers the Jazz for the Deseret News. I don't think we have any reason to be worried about the Jazz and their positioning in the league. There's no reason to doubt their talent or their skill level or, or even to look back on what they've been able to do so far in the first half of the season and think that it was a fluke. I think the second half of the season is obviously going to be more telling than the first half. That's when they want to be playing their best basketball. The season progresses. You know, this team is incredibly talented and they've been doing a lot of things at such a high level and the fact of the matter is they are the winningest team in the league this season. And until they give me a reason to really doubt them, I'm not. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Corey defended by Loner. Gets a screen from Timmy. Dribbles the top of the key. Pulls up for one more. And he's got another one. Corey Kispert fired up, pumping his fist. He's hit three early in the half. And the Bulldogs cut the lead to 55-52. Suggs off Timmy's screen, drives, shot up, high off the glass, and in. Beautiful touch from the freshman. Gonzaga right back on top by two. Nemhart dribbles to the free throw line, cut off there. Pass right side, Suggs, he catches and shoots. The three is good, all net for the freshman. A huge one for Jalen. He's got 20. BYU, Gonzaga, the Cougars had a 12-point lead at halftime. They were shooting like 70% from three. I mean, it was just outrageous. They were crushing it. Gonzaga came out in the second half with an 11-2 run. They traded hoops hoops for a long time in a close game. It was tied until right about the four-minute mark. 4.03 to go. Jalen Suggs scores on a layup, and that started a 15-5 run for Gonzaga to close the game. They win 88-78. They win the second half 47-25. It was like two different games, PK. It was two different games in that one team versus the other, but sort of the same type of game in that BYU was way hot in the first half and Gonzaga was way hot in the second half. And Gonzaga's defense really turned it up in the second half. That was what was, I think, two to me is a couple of things as far as the shooting. They had to hit the three-point shots. Even if they had, they really buckled down defensively. There's no question, but I think it had to be augmented by the Kispert coming out and hitting the three-point shots, and then 
and then Suggs taking over to where I think that BYU obviously would have had a better chance, even with the increased intensity by Gonzaga's defense. If Gonzaga wasn't hitting, maybe the lead would have still been six or eight, and so there would have been more pressure on offensively from the Gonzaga perspective. But Kispert took care of that right off the bat. And he's a premier shooter, man. There's no doubt about it. If he's going to get squared up. He's going to make probably 60%, 70% of those shots. This is exactly what he did. And then Suggs is a phenomenal player, maybe the best guard that Gonzaga's ever had. And if you're a Gonzaga fan, appreciate him because I don't think he's going to be there much longer. Well, it goes to what you said. He's certainly a top-five pick, and, you know, if he goes two or three, I don't think that'll surprise. It won't shock people, certainly. And Kispert is projected as probably a lottery pick. He's probably late in the lottery, and Suggs is going to be very early in the lottery. But, hey, you got a college basketball team, and you got two guys who are going to go in the first half of the first round. You ought to be pretty good. And Gonzaga, they're really good. 26-0 and 0 now going into the NCAA tournament. If you had to put a number on it, 20%, 50%, 80%, whatever, what number would you put on Gonzaga going undefeated and winning the whole thing at 32-0 and 0 and being the first team since Indiana in 1976 to have a perfect season? I think I'd put it about even money. I mean, it's impossible to say because I don't know. You don't the know lineups. the brackets yet in the draw, right? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and uh, to me, they're going to waltz into the Sweet 16. To me, they're like those Utah teams. Uh, once they got going in the 90s, is they pretty much had a clear path to the Sweet 16. Uh, early, uh, there's a couple of games. I think uh, Utah and Iowa State, when Van Horn was, what, uh, junior, I think it was. But then other than that, man, it seemed like they, they just could waltz into it for two or three years into the Sweet 16. So I certainly expect Gonzaga to be playing deep into the tournament as far as I would be anything. I would be absolutely shocked if they were not playing on that Elite Eight weekend with the opportunity to go to the Final Four. But once you get to the opportunity, so you're getting that regional final, although they don't, they're not going to really have the regions this year. I don't think uh, they'll have brackets, but obviously it's all in Indiana. So I'm not even sure how that's going to play out. But the fact that if they're not playing, whether it's on that Saturday or Sunday, for the right to go to the NCAA term, to the Final Four, I would be very much surprised. And now that I think about it, I think having everything in, in Indiana might favor the favorites even more, if that makes sense. Because? Well, your your routine is right there. There's nothing. You take the travel out of it. Yeah, yeah. The fatigue to a degree. Yeah, you just there's nothing unusual about it. Uh, it's all it's almost uh, we saw in the bubble. Now I don't know how it's going to work in far as far as different gyms mm-hmm. and how many how that's what they're going to do as they narrow it down and we get from first weekend to second weekend. You know, are they going to? If you're the higher seed, does the other team have to come to where you've been playing? I'm not sure all those details. Maybe they've already been ironed out, and I just haven't seen them. But just off the top of my head, I think that it's going to favor somebody like Gonzaga to where they're just going to be wherever they're going to be, and that should help more time and everything and rest time and whatnot. And Obviously, in most games, if not all of them, they're going to be favored. But when you get down to that, what we can so that would be the fourth game. What we would normally phrase as the regional final. Still in the lead eight, regardless, right? Yeah, most likely you're going to be playing some quality teams. It'd be interesting to see if there are what we call the Cinderellas all coming 
out of Indiana. How does that work? I wouldn't be surprised if the more recognizable blue bud type programs this year uh, are the ones that maybe the seeds are truer this year. I don't know that, but it wouldn't surprise me. Makes sense when you get two really good teams in one league, uh, and then one gets to stay in the region, but one has to. We've often seen an ACC or a Big Ten team <clears throat> shipped Big East shipped out to uh, a Western site. You know, UConn's had to come out to Salt Lake City and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And how well do teams travel? So you know, maybe if you're uh, if you're a Western team playing a West, even if you're a worse seed, that's a little bit of an advantage. You didn't travel, and if they all go to Indiana and then just sit there. Yeah, it won't take long for the whole jet lag thing to equalize itself. You know, been there That's a week. That's You've been there a week, so that ought to that you take that out of the equation. I would assume that they'll still have regionals and isolate teams in gyms, just because everyone seems to be really worried about contact tracing and all that. So why would you mix up the buildings if you didn't have to? You know, right? Uh, on any given week, the four teams that are in one building, I would think they'll have a double header, and whoever wins plays in the same building. I wouldn't think they'd be moving teams around. That doesn't make any sense. I think someone had got that figured out. We'll find out when we get there. You're right. I haven't seen it written about. Uh, so BYU, they will wait to find out their seating now. All kinds of projections that have them in the you know the seven range, and then of course immediately I see Cougar fans on Twitter saying, "Well, that means a nine seed," because there were so many times we thought they were going to be a ten and they were a twelve. So. We'll see what happens with that. 20-6 and six heading into the tournament now as they wait to find out who they're going to play and uh, win and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I would think 7-10. to 10. I actually think that because they were the big show, not to be confused with Gordon and Jake, but they were the big show on a Tuesday night, and everybody knows that that was a tough game from Gonzaga. If, you're either, if you weren't watching it, you probably saw a score. So I actually think BYU accorded itself well and will have the opportunity to have the highest seed that they could possibly have because they did not get blown out. Now, certainly if they would have won, uh, I think that, uh, that could have helped even more. But they didn't win. But just the fact that they gave Gonzaga all that they can handle. And Mark Few has always been complimentary of BYU. Mark Few loves having BYU in the league. I've literally spoken to him about that in the hallways of the Orleans Arena. And he's gone public with that also, too. And I think that'll help. So I think they'll get a, about as favorable as they can get under the circumstances. Uh, watching Twitter, it was really clear to your point that lots of people were tracking that game, and if they weren't watching it, they knew what was going on. Because and, and no wonder Mark Few loves it. I mean, yeah, he had to go in and get mad at his team at halftime, but coaches want to do that. It's got to bug him that they've only trailed at halftime once in league play. He's never been able to go in and do that. He knows they need that experience. They're probably oh, yeah. gonna, they're going to trail at halftime in a tournament game, Sweet 16, Elite 8, Final 4, whatever. They're not going to I wouldn't think that they're just going to run six teams off the floor and win the title because nobody does that in the NCAA tournament. So now they've been through it. You know, Pacific had a one-point lead on them, so there was that game. But it was one point, and they won the thing by 18. Only one point, a singular point, if you will. Exactly. Uh, high school football, uh, you know, I, I followed uh, Corner Canyon this year, and they had a close game, and, and Dave and Lemon, those guys do a really good job broadcasting the games, and you can tell they're excited to do it. And it's a real plus for the high school kids. But anyway, I'm watching the game on television, and then they interview one of the kids afterward, 
and he's and it was a close game, and they may even had to have come behind, and they got this fifty some outrageous winning streak. They haven't lost in four years. Blah blah blah, and the kid said, "This game is way more fun than all most of the other games when we're up thirty at halftime, right?" And so, I got to think Gonzaga actually liked it having to yeah. come from behind because it's brand new because they're always up so big as i said yesterday watching these guys play you better get there early it reminds me of the 91 dream team david doesn't it nope there was no 91 dream team yes there was so they just they hadn't dream played team. yet but they formulated in 91 hence the 92 <laughs> dream team and those guys were just slaughtering people left and right, right? Yep. Yeah. They, Same they, type of deal on Gonzaga's scale and level. College hoops today. It's the youths getting into action. Wednesday, first day of the Pac-12 tournament. They're facing Washington. The second of three games on the Pac-12 networks. Five o'clock tip. Washington is five and twenty, and they split two <laughs> games with Utah. They have five wins and twenty losses. That's horrendous. Hence five and twenty. And you're one of the five. Do not be two of the six, people. Do not Ooh. be two of the six. I'm done. I'm not I'm done. If they lose today, I'm done. You're done. You need to win this, and then a winner gets USC tomorrow. And they did they paneled SC a couple of weeks ago. I think they it was did. on the twenty seventh. SC was in a in a little bit of a slump then. Uh, I think that's a winnable game. And really, and I agree with what Larry said. That when we had him on the air, I think it was Monday. That uh, you know they've been close and played great games, one through eleven. They've beaten a lot of these teams. Uh, you know, Oregon is the number one seed, but they had a 10, 12 point lead on Oregon at home a couple uh, last month, or was it in January? I think it was in mid January, and they blew that game. So the possibility is there, but at the same time, and I wrote about this. They'll posted this morning at KSL that you realize Utah has not won a Pac-12 tournament game since 2016. Yeah, I do. I didn't. Yeah. Even though I was there for all those (laughs) games. (laughs) When I'm going through and I'm looking, I'm checking it off. Wow, we ought to, we got to go all the way back to 2016. Yeah. And there's a whole range of seeds in those years. From there's one team that had a bye. I lost. think there was it's multiple the teams that had a bye. Yeah, and then lower seed and lost, and and now they're in uh, an opening round game. And ugh, yeah, last yeah. year they're in the opening round game, and Washington or uh, was it Washington State? No, who got them? Is it Oregon State? Yeah, Oregon State. There you Oregon go. I knew State. it was a state. Hit a shot. Yeah. Hit a shot. Yeah, and Plummer went nuts, but they still lost the game. And then the tournament shut down the next day. People forget that because of the tournament shutting down, but they actually got in their game. And then they had a couple losses to Oregon, and then they had a loss to Cal. Yeah. So you got to go back in 2016. Last time they won, I think they won two, and they got to the final, and then Oregon got them there. But, man, 2016, that's a long time for a great program. I think uh, they just sent out an email with a bunch of tournament history stuff in it. You may have read that over. Uh, I took a look at it, and Larry had mentioned, yeah, we've had some tough games with Oregon. And mm-hmm. they have it in, in, this re- in this press release. They have a list of uh, – they have multiple things, but one they have is a list of every – the record of Utah against every school in the tournament. And Oregon's the team they played the most in their own five. 
The Ducks. And if they run into the Ducks this year, well, they'll have to win a lot of games to run into I the Ducks. I saw a thing <laughs> that uh, Knight is approaching in donations to Oregon University, $1 billion. Well, then they ought to be winning, huh? <laughs> Yeah, the, the the arena that they play in is Knight Arena. It was named after uh, his son, uh, Phil Knight's son, who I believe was a tragic motorcycle accident, and yeah. there was a death involved there. I'd have to double check that, but I think that's what it was. And that opened a few years back. It's probably seven or eight years now, but you, you lose track of time with that funky court. But that is the Knight Arena, and I believe it's dedicated to the man's son. So certainly, yes, he has been a huge, huge benefactor. It just pisses me off to no end that Nike couldn't have set up shop in Tempe. Nothing wrong with buying wins as long as they're buying ASU wins. The oh, buying exactly. Oregon wins, that's what's repulsive. Right. Okay. You're buying wins for ASU? Well, God bless America. Salute the flag and pass the apple pie, people. Maybe we might even be able to get a one-star uh, player from the Valley to stay Same. home. <laughs> All right, other stuff we've talked about, and the college hoops has really uh, driven it today because it's championship week and the Jazz aren't playing. Oregon the, is just basically a hooker. <laughs> the Jazz did uh, pick up Ursan Ilyasova. And so a vet in his 30s, he can shoot the three a little bit, not real well, 36.5%, but decent. It's good, but not great. And it gives him a little veteran ability and gives him a little, uh, a little more size and a little more length. So there you go. Well, Insurance why not pick up, pick up a veteran? I mean, you're not going to be able to develop anybody at this stage. You're not in the development mode. Uh, so go with somebody who you know you're going to get if you should need him to play extended minutes. Now, nothing against the dude, but hopefully they don't need him to play extended minutes. And I don't know that I would look to incorporate him into a game on which you uh, you know it's a close game. You get an opportunity to put him in for sure. Uh, and they'll probably have. They've got 36 games left, and I don't think their top nine guys are going to be available for all 36 games. So he'll get an opportunity. They were pretty healthy in the first half of the season. That was, that was a major plus. Yeah, got, Conley uh, still missed seven games. He missed seven, and what, Joe missed three or four. And Donovan missed two, and uh, uh, Favors. Favors missed two. So you're looking at about 15 games lost by the group. That That's a pretty good number right there. You, know, you hope they could replicate that in the second half of the season. And if they do, that's great, but that's still 15 opportunities where the Silva can come in and get yep. some experience playing with these guys. Uh, the NFL news, uh, Marcus Williams, former Ute standout, was tagged by the New Orleans Saints, a franchise tag. So a one-year deal for big money. And we'll see where that goes. Uh, notable players who are not tagged, if you're into NFL free agency, Chris Carson, running back in Seattle. Uh, Packers running back Aaron Jones. Lions wide receiver Kenny Galladay. So that kind of looks like the height of the free agent class. Although we're all waiting to see if quarterbacks are going to be traded. So you're looking for offseason moves. That will, if that, if that happens, or if it happens multiple times, that will obviously trump whatever is, is done with free agency. We've had the oh, one yeah. deal with the Rams don't, don't, and Lions. Don't say the word trump. I mean, you always have to get that in there, don't mm-hmm. you? I do. So obvious. Yeah, clearly. Uh, Jim Harbaugh has been given the, the gauntlet, only partially thrown down. A Michigan AD who does not want to be nailed down on a number of wins for Harbaugh. Nobody's happy with two and four in their abbreviated season last year. But it really goes to you got to beat Michigan State, you got to beat Ohio State, you got to win the Big Ten. 
The playoffs, yes, but since you haven't won the Big Ten, first things first. You've got to beat Ohio State, you've got to win the Big Ten. Well, no one would ever put a win total on someone because then it becomes an absolute black and white. If you yeah. don't get to nine, well, you're out. If you don't get to ten, whatever that might be. And I don't think you're ever going to hear any form of an administrator put a number, a literal number, on a coach. And they didn't. That's the, uh, that's the way to handle it. By the book. Don't put a number on it. Right. But it's clear the pressure is building. Beat Michigan State, beat Ohio State, win the Big Ten. Well, I mean, yeah, but the, the administrator didn't have to say anything on that. Nope. They all know it. Steven Strasburg made his spring training debut when he's healthy. He's been very, very good. Uh, didn't pitch much last year. Just made two starts, only uh, five innings. He had carpal tunnel surgery. Uh, he's had plenty of health issues, plenty of surgery, but he always seems to bounce back from him and be good until he has the next surgery. So... Assuming he will bounce back and be good again. We'll see. All right, anything else that came up in the show that you want to mention? We covered it. That's the highlights. I think we good. DJ and PK, your feedback coming up next. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. DJ and PK, it is time for your feedback. What do you got to say? One of our favorite golf guests, Masters champ Mike Weir, spring fever, dot, dot, dot. Who else is ready for at the Masters? Oh, yeah, I think it's a, a month from this weekend, isn't it? I think that's why he's tweeting that out. He knows the countdown is on. He can feel it. Oh, for sure. One of my favorite events of the year. Put on the green jacket and head over to the Champions Dinner. I want to ask Mike one of these times, would you rather go to heaven or go to the Champions Dinner? <laughs> and he would say, what's the difference? I don't know. I've never been to either. Right. But. <laughs> and I'm never going to either, for that matter. All the guys who've been to the Champions Dinner speak of it glowingly. It is always a fabulous evening. Well, it's one of the most exclusive, if not the most exclusive yeah. club that we have in sports. Clint Peterson tweets at us about the Jazz. Bogdanovich should be benched. L-O-L. Space. K. Benched? Well, see, uh, the Philly game, I thought Joe had it going on. And I know, and I'm just second-guessing, and I don't know what I'm talking about compared to whatever Quinn Snyder knows. The least of his knowledge is more than the most of my knowledge. We all understand that. But they went right at Bogdanovich in that overtime with Tobias Harris. Who would have mm-hmm. thought that Tobias Harris would be a critical component when you got Embiid and Simmons on the floor? And Joe was really, really playing well. I just wonder sometimes if you should go away from the formula. Now, the formula has gotten them in, the first, in first place, so I can see him, uh, Quinn, saying, PK, I got one word for you, and I can't say it on the radio. So I understand all that, but I mean that's 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 about what fandom is. I mean it's just it's not like yeah, I'm but I don't, this, I don't this think person's not a horrible horrible coach. Just stuff that crosses my mind. But I don't think it's hot take territory where you just do it to stir the pot and it has no substance to it. And you love to say I never played the game. Okay, that's a hot take. You're just trying to rile I people up when game, you say though. that. You did coach the game, Junior <laughs> Jazz baby. You were state champs. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that, you know, you got five minutes against Philly in overtime, and Embiid is hot. It wasn't just that they went at bogey. It's like they went away from a guy who was hot. Embiid had it rolling in the fourth quarter, or Philly wouldn't have gotten to overtime. The Jazz would have won it in regulation if Embiid wasn't lighting it up. 
And I was stunned in that game when they went away from Embiid in overtime because I thought, well, you're going to get a steady diet of, o- of Embiid in OT. He's got it going. And instead, they go right at bogey and have success on the first two possessions. And so, okay, b- there's one thing between benching him and there's another thing for taking him out for three or four minutes when there's a matchup that's really bad. Right. That, that's in my all mind, I'm is saying. not benching right, the Right, exactly. I wouldn't bench him, no right. question. But, okay, for the next three or four minutes, maybe we need to go with somebody else. Well, That's what I'm thinking. Joe's got it. Maybe Joe can stop him defensively. Maybe he can. Maybe he can deny him the ball so he doesn't get posted up. I don't know. You know, but is it worth a chance? Because Philly's up four with four minutes to go in OT, and it's so quick. And you're like, what are you going to do to you know? And there are matchups. The Jazz small backcourt, these guys are wildly talented, or they wouldn't have been at the All-Star game, both of them. But there are going to be times where they're going to be a lot smaller than the guys that they got to defend. So maybe if, And if they've got it going and the other guys don't, who cares? But if the bigger lineup has it going, maybe putting Joe in there and having a little more size on the floor, you know, it's not, it's not permanent, but the NBA is a game of matchups. It would be a shame to have a great team and let one team and let an opponent pick at a matchup and win a series because of it. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. All right, DJ and PK, time to welcome in Andrew Reinhardt, Wasatch Medical Clinic. Andrew joins us right now. And Andrew, Cambridge University, studying what you're doing. See if it's really working or if you're selling snake oil. Yeah, (laughs) I think it's a pretty good sign when Cambridge University looks into the technology, uh, no matter what the outcome. Uh, For men struggling with ED, we're talking about acoustic wave therapy, of course. Uh, Cambridge took... I forget the number of men, but a group of men with erectile dysfunction. And it was kind of interesting because they intentionally uh, took men that uh, were no longer responding to the pills. So I'm assuming pretty severe ED. They put them through the technology, our exact technology, uh, and then tested the results after. Their words were high success rate. Uh, Every man or almost every man experienced an increase in blood flow. So This is a good thing. They also said safe, no side effects. If you're out there listening, struggling in the bedroom at any level or just want to improve things, these treatments have been a game changer for so many guys, helping them get off the pill and improve things with their significant other. So for people who've had other injuries, a kind of a knee injury, acoustic wave theory, therapy. Did you invent this? Did you tweak this? Did you um, borrow it from stuff that's been used for like people who've gone through knee surgery? Is there any relationship with that kind of stuff? You know, I do think that we borrowed it. It's been used since the 1950s for improving blood flow, the legs, the feet, joints, knee, uh, neovascularization is what it creates. And that's a good thing. We specialize in using it for ED and the clinical studies have kind of agreed with that. So This is a proven technology that's been heavily studied on a lot of parts of the body. We happen to specialize in this part of the body. All right, so uh, you usually have a special offer. What kind of deal do you have for the listeners who love deals, who love bonus value? Yes, a lot of value. Uh, This is the last segment of the day. We'll do the assessment, the exam, the blood flow ultrasound. A great chance to meet with our doctor, get your questions answered. Uh, We'll throw in a little gift. It produces immediate results in the bedroom. Very popular, by the way. Uh, Give us a call. We do this all totally free. 
Guys, you can call Andrew right now. Wasatch Medical is 801-901-8000. That's 801-901-8000. Call Andrew right now. Get the special deal at 801-901-8000. Andrew, thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate you.